Well, good morning to you all. Trust you all had a wonderful Christmas day with the family. We had a number of folks who joined us on Facebook on Christmas morning. We're glad for that. And we'll see about doing some more of those in the in the future here as well. But a happy new year to you. If you stayed up late, you might be a little sleepy, but some of you are used to staying up that late. I did not stay up late. I went to bed when I usually go to bed on Saturday night and got up when I usually get up on Sunday morning. But it's good to see you here today. A couple of weeks since we've been on this topic, but let's review just a few things in the area of patience. In James chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That it is the testing of our faith that produces patience, not the trial. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect incomplete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We come into a test or a trial. Generally, the thing we need is wisdom. That's the first thing he tells us, that if we lack it, Ask God. He will give to us. So when I ask God, I've got to believe that He has given it to me, that it is mine to have, that wisdom belongs to me. Don't go out speaking things contrary to that. Don't be double-minded. And while you're in that test of trial, you are there to, to continue to stay in faith that your endurance would increase. As your endurance increases, that test of trial is having a perfect work in you. It's working your faith in a way that nothing else can. And pretty soon, test, what seems like a test or trial today won't seem like a test or trial at all. Down the road, you'll be up to other tests and trials. And as you build your endurance there, more and more will come. We looked at a lot of the main reason, one of the big reasons anyway, that people lose patience and fall from faith is pressure. That we feel pressure being built up. We've seen a number of times in the Word of God where people came under pressure. When that pressure came, it began to move them. But faith has the ability to keep you in that same spot. And your patience as it increases gives you more endurance. And things can't move you. Pressure doesn't move you. A lot of times the enemy just creates pressure. We begin to think that there's a problem. We saw with the children of Israel the last time we were in this topic that they were in a situation where they needed water, a situation where they needed food, a situation where they needed water. And the whole time, God had a plan for them to have food in the wilderness that he was leading them out into. But they suddenly felt pressure. We're out of our food. What are we going to do? It's not a pressure situation, but they created one. And they felt more and more abandoned by God and that God didn't care. The disciples on the boat, felt a pressure situation, but Jesus didn't feel any of the pressure. Many times in the Word of God we'll see some feeling pressure and some not feeling pressure. As your endurance increases, you don't feel that pressure. Let's take a look here in Exodus chapter 24. If you're up on Facebook, you got a little heads up. If you weren't on Facebook and didn't check it out, you have no idea. Exodus chapter 24 and verse 1. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord. 
but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, I love this part, all the people answered with one voice. Can you imagine getting two to four million people together and all say the same thing? Here's what they said. All the words which the Lord has said we will do. Be careful of getting into a practice of saying things you don't mean. Be careful of getting into a practice of saying things that you don't carry through. Because you are establishing a pattern. That's not a good pattern. They all said together, all the words which the Lord has said we will do. How many? All. So whatever God has said. Now, you go to the chapters before and you're going to see some of the things, or you're going to see all the things that God had said to Moses that Moses had brought to them and said to them. And they said, whatever, all these things that God has said, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. He didn't just go up in the mountains for 40 days and 40 nights and get the word of the Lord. He was up there for a short meeting, got some words, came on back, told it to them. And they all said, we're going to do it. We are all, we're all going to do it. We, what the Lord has said, we will do it. That's what they said. Now look who was with them. Remember who, who made the trip up the mountain? Moses and Joshua. That's it. Moses made the full trip. Joshua stopped about halfway. They're the only two who made it up. So we got Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. That by my count is 73 people from the nation of Israel, all leaders who went up to this, this short meeting with Moses and are about to see some things. Seventy-three people who would not go make the trip up the mountain, but who were here for this. Let's take a look at what happened. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he arose early in the morning and built an altar in the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. So all the things that God had said... Moses wrote them down. He left them there with Israel as he made his way up the mountain. All the things that are in the chapters before, he wrote them down. He took the time to write them down. He knows God wants him to come up on the mountain, but he doesn't feel pressure. I don't have to get up there. I need to write these down. I've said it to the people. Now I'm going to write them down. Moses, what are you doing? I'm writing some things. It might take me a little while. And he feels no pressure. He just writes these things down. So he wrote all the words down. Here's a few of the things that he wrote. Because this is the things that were in there uh, prior to Exodus 24. In Exodus 20 verse 4, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So he's basically saying this. If you look up in the sky and see it, don't make anything like it. As a graven image to me. If you see anything on the earth, don't make anything like it as an image to me. If you see anything in the water that is under the earth, don't make anything like it as a graven image to me. So he got up, level, and down. If you look up, if you look out, and if you look down, if you see it, don't make anything that you see into a graven image with me. Could it be any more clear? Exodus 22, verse 20. 
He who sacrifices to any God except to the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Is that pretty clear? Let's pick up where we left off in Exodus 24. Verse 5. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. All right, now we're just adding stuff to it. All that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. Have you as a child ever said, Mom, Dad, I'll be obedient? And didn't mean it for more than an hour? Already you're breaking the thing. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. All right, how many of you like this meeting? Leader of the meeting comes out and takes blood and sprinkles it on you. Anybody like that meeting? Yeah, took the blood, sprinkled on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. There's that group again. And now look at this. This is You've got to see this. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. Now that's quite a description, isn't it? They saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. Now, did I just read for you from the Word of God? I didn't write that, did I? That's in the Word of God. Seventy-three people who are left down on the mountainside, who were of part of that one voice, we will do what the Lord has said and be obedient, saw God in some form, saw God, and under His feet is something they recognized as sapphire, but never saw something with such clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate, and they drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. So he takes this group of 73. They see this phenomenal sight. How many of you, this would move you? If you had an experience like this where you saw God and under his feet was like a paved road of sapphire that was so clear, but you could still see it was a sapphire. We're not just talking about a little tiny gemstone. We're talking about something huge. And he stood on that. That that would move you, right? How long would that have moved you for? Anybody think it would have moved you for more than a week? More than a month? I think it probably would have. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written. Now, how many remember back watching the TV? There's Charles Heston. He's going up on the mountain. And he's getting the Ten Commandments from God and so forth and all the things and tablets. And how many know that the lightning was flashing around and that God was carving things out of the stone? Yeah, that's not what happened. It's funny that the TV got it wrong, isn't it? He said, come up to me on the mountain and be there and I will, what? 
give you, not carve for you, give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written. It's past tense. So what's God doing for 40 days and 40 nights if he's not carving these things out of stone? Well, if God wants to carve things out of stone, it don't take him 40 days and 40 nights. He just tells the pieces of the stone that he doesn't want to be there, get out. He can carve that stone just, just as fast as he wants. But they're already ready. All Moses has to do is come up and receive them. He says, I'm going to give them to you. I've already, got, I've already written it down. I'm going to give them to you. So come on up here. Just you, leave the rest of those guys down there. I'm going to give them to you. Verse 13. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua. And Moses went up to the mountain of God and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Now, it does not say that Hur was in the group of 73. Unless he was one of the elders. And just wasn't counted. But if, since his name is here, you would think that if he was in that original group of 73, that he would have enlisted as well. That's my thought. I'm going on the assumption. Again, it's an assumption. I don't know for sure. That Hur was not on uh, this, this place to see this vision. But Aaron was. Who's in charge while Moses is gone? Aaron and Hur. Both are in charge. If you got any trouble, you got Aaron, you got Hur. They're both here. Take care of it. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. So he says, wait here for us. In the meantime, while you're waiting for us to return, you got any trouble, any difficulty at all, go to Aaron and Hur. Verse 15. Then Moses went up into the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called the Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now, you might miss this if you just read through this really fast. But see, we're going after this for a particular thing, and that's the, the area of patience. So Moses comes up to the mountain, and he's there. The cloud is on the mountain, and Moses is there on the mountain, and God is there on the mountain, and nothing happens for six days. Isn't that what it said? On the seventh day, what happened? God called to Moses. So how long is he sitting in the presence of God? Six days. How many of you folks get uncomfortable sitting in the presence of God for ten minutes? You come to church and the presence of God moves. And, you know, there's no songs. There's no music. Just the presence of God. And, you know, after three minutes, all oh, this is good. This is good. Oh, I'm enjoying this. After five minutes, this is a little longer than I'm used to, but this is still good. I'm enjoying the presence of God. You know, nine, ten minutes. Why are we still sitting here like this? Is something supposed to happen? Did somebody forget something, one of their parts? What's going on? I don't quite understand. Why are we still sitting here like this? You know, 15 minutes? Man, if we've got nothing to do here, I might as well just go on home. We can get uncomfortable in the presence of God. Moses did it for six days. Six days in the presence of God, and God doesn't speak until the seventh day. The seventh day, God calls out to him. Moses, what do you think Moses did? And he called the Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So the cloud is here. Six days, this cloud, the cloud of God, the presence of God on the mountain. And Moses is in it. For six days, nothing 
happens. No carving, no speaking, no telling. On the seventh day, he called out to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Verse 17, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. This is a spectacular sight, right? And some of us might think that would entertain me certainly for six days. But I'll bet you after an hour, if you were not tied into the spirit of things, you'd be wondering, well, what else is supposed to happen? The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. How long was Moses on the mountain? Not a trick question. It's right there. 40 days and 40 nights. How long was it until God spoke to him? Six days, nothing. Seventh day. So now we got 32, 30, 33 days left. Moses is going to be up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. First six days, he just sat in the presence of God. Seventh day, God called to him. Well, that's, um, that's quite a time. That is something else. Verse 32, 1. And we're going to skip over here all the chapters in between. For chapter 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31. We're going to skip all those. It's not that they aren't important, but that's what happened on day 7 all the way up to day 40. These are some of the things that God said. Now, you all know it does not take 33 days to say everything that is in chapters 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, and 31. You can get through that a whole lot quicker. If you're Moses, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and they're just not going along with the conversation fast enough? Have you ever had that? And you just kind of want to reach in and pull out the point and just tell me why we're here. Why are you talking to me right now? And they just keep going on and keep going on and keep going on. It's like, come on, come back to it. Talk to me about this. Moses doesn't do that. And of course, with God, there's a point to everything. But even when God is speaking to us, we can get, we're not tied into the right thing, folks. We can get a little frustrated. Why do you keep talking to me like this? When Jesus taught the Pharisees and the Sadducees, weren't they getting frustrated? They weren't, they weren't hearing what was, what was there to be, be heard. Verse 1, chapter 32. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain... The people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as, for as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. If you are familiar with Exodus chapter 32, God abrupt, brings this meeting to an abrupt end. My feeling is this meeting would have gone on longer than 40 days and 40 nights. It would have kept on going. And that there was more that he would have covered. But because of what was going on with the people, he uh, either cut it short. Now, I don't know if he cut it a day short. I don't know if he cut it an hour short. Don't know what was going on with that. I just know that God abruptly calls it to a, brings it to a close. But look at verse 1 again. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain. I, I, I put this in your outline, I think, for you. This is a New Century translation of this. The people saw that a long time had passed. A long time. What is a long time? 
Now, a long time is completely uh, relative to what it is that you're doing. If you have a microwave dinner and you look at the package and the package says 20 minutes in the microwave, that can be a long time to you because you're thinking microwave, two minutes, four minutes, six minutes. Why is this one 20 minutes? I don't know what they all are, but I know that there's, there's this one um, uh, meal that we get from, from somebody. I haven't had it in a long time, but I think it was lasagna. And for some reason, this lasagna thing had to be in the microwave for a lot longer than I thought necessary. <laughs> so when you knew you were going to have that lasagna, you had to get out there with that microwave. You had to start it. You know, and you can't wait five minutes. No, not five minutes. How many have ever tried to do potatoes in a microwave? You know, you know how long it takes to be in an oven? You would think a microwave would be faster. But if you put them in the microwave oven, they don't seem to cook all that much faster. Unless you get that special bag to put them in and then they can, they can cook a whole lot faster in that nice special bag. But if you just put them in the oven and you expect, you know, in five minutes I'm going to have a cooked uh, baked potato, it don't happen that way. You got popcorn. Popcorn goes in the microwave. How long does it take? Two minutes, three minutes. used to take five. We got tired of waiting for five. We want two-minute popcorn. And all the different things that we put in, we, we just want to see it faster. So if you are waiting for a long period of time for something, it's just what's, what's long is something longer than you are expecting. It doesn't matter if your expectation was built on anything solid or not. You know, they, uh, there was a, there's this particular thing that I saw on the TV. And I just really thought that um, the cooks in our house would like these things for Christmas. And I, I plan on getting them for them for, for Christmas. And so um, I ordered them in November. I ordered them so long ago, I forgot I ordered them. That's how long ago I ordered them. And then I got an email about these particular things having been ordered. I forgot I even ordered those. That was so long ago. And so uh, I did the thing. It's coming from China. They came from China. I mean, they really did come from China because the first couple of locations on the tracking was all written in Chinese. That's where they came from. So I was looking at this. They gave me a little tracking number. So I called up the tracking number and it followed it through China in certain spots and it stopped. No more tracking on it at all. Don't know where it is. Don't know what's going on. What's happening with this thing when, you know, I wanted to come. Now, you, you know, we're used to shipping. How many are on Amazon Prime? Yeah, I mean, we just get spoiled. Once you do things on Amazon Prime, it's like, what do you mean it's going to take three days? I don't wait for anything for three days. I mean, Amazon Prime has gotten so good. I'm, I've, I don't, has anybody gotten a Sunday delivery yet with Amazon Prime? I was shocked when my first one came. What do you mean? They come by the post office. They do not deliver on Sundays. But sure enough, I got home from church and there was that package in the mailbox. Two days, man, these guys are serious about this. So it was, it was back in the, it may have even been October. I don't know. It was November. I came back into touch with this thing. This thing was on its way. It's a nice little cooking utensil. Nice little thing for the, for the kitchen. And it's on its way. And no, no tracking on it. First week of December. Second week of December. Third week of December. I'm not seeing this thing. It hasn't come. And then finally, without any warning, any, any tracking information at all, it showed up in the mailbox. 
there it was. And uh, I said, oh, well, finally I got here in time. And, it, and I put it in a spot and forgot to take it up with us on Christmas. So my daughter hasn't gotten hers yet, but my wife did. She got, she got her, her part of it. But when I, I said, oh, I forgot to bring this up for Christmas. I'll open it up. At least give it to my wife. Opened it up, took out of the package, and here it is, one box. I ordered two of these. Two. I went back to the order. Two. I ordered two of these. I wanted one for here at the house for my wife and one for my daughter. Two. I got one. I'm ready to call somebody up because I knew how many weeks I waited for that thing to get here. That's a long, 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 long time. And so, um, so I opened up the package to at least give it to, to her. And lo and behold, all of them are in the one box. I said, man, that is cheap. Because I ordered two, one for each, and now I got an open box. But that was a long time to wait for that. I'm not prepared for things to take that long in the shipping area. They should be coming a, a whole lot sooner. We're just not, uh, we're not liking that. So here it says this. Now when the people saw that Moses was delayed, was Moses delayed? He's, he's exactly where he should be on God's schedule. There's no delay here at all. We are exactly where we ought to be. God, had, God is playing this thing out. He's got the meeting going on. But suddenly they decided that he was delayed. Why did they decide that he was delayed? Well, I guess they had determined that you know, the meeting with God, it should only be you know, maybe a week. You know, it took God a week before he even talked to him. So they waited for the week. And after that, then they waited a second week. They probably think, man, we have been patient. We have waited two weeks for him to come down. Why hasn't he come down yet? They waited a third week. Seven days, 14 days, 21 days. 21 days. How long was Moses on the mountain for? 40 days and 40 nights. Why did he leave on the 40th day? Because God said, get down from this mountain to the people you brought up out of Egypt. He kicked them off. So it had to be right around that 39th, 40th day is when they're doing this. So they waited four weeks. That's 28 days. They waited five weeks. That's 35 days. They waited for a few more days beyond the five weeks. And they finally came to somebody and said, This Moses has been delayed. We don't know what's coming to him. Now, it's not like they're just waiting and there's no, no indication. They have tracking on this. Because Moses went up to the mountain, and what came down upon the mountain? The cloud. They said it was like a consuming fire. Has the cloud left? No, it's still there. So that cloud that was not there before, very mysterious cloud, that cloud is still on the mountain. Moses is still up in the cloud. Where is God? He's up on the mountain talking with Moses. Moses is up there. God is up there. Everybody's up there. How do we know? The cloud's still there. All this thundering going on. All this consuming fire going on. Hmm. Now when the people saw the Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. <laughs> we do not know what has become of him. I do not know what has come of that package that I ordered. You know, sometimes we have that time where we don't know what happens. I ordered one thing. I, I was not in a hurry for it. I wanted it, 
but I was not in a hurry for it. I was getting close to it. It's a little additive I put into the water to make it good for the fish. And so uh, I ordered it in plenty of time for the other one to run out. And so I, I ordered the thing and, you know, it wasn't Amazon Prime, but I had a, had a thing, you know, three, four, five days it was supposed to be there. And so I'm following the tracking and it's coming from all the way over in California. And it came over to this one particular city and it stopped. And I watched it the third day and it didn't move. And I watched it the fourth day. We're not in China anymore. We're in the United States. And I watched it the fifth day and it hadn't come. So, and you don't call up Amazon, you email them. So I emailed them about it. It says, hey, what's up with this shipment? And they said, uh, they looked at it and they sent me a note back. said, uh, tell you what, if you don't mind, give it another day or two. Let's just see if it shows up. I said, okay. <laughs> Again, I wasn't in a hurry for it. Day or two went by, hadn't shown up, no movement or anything at all. Sent them another email. Uh, still hasn't been moving. You know what? We think it's probably lost. We're going to send you another one. So they sent me another one. I thought, boy, what happens if they find the first one? I got two of them. And it didn't happen. The first one was definitely lost. It was gone. We do not know what has become of this package. It is gone. But we know where Moses is. Because as long as God is on the mountain, he's on the mountain to talk to Moses. So Moses has to be on the mountain if the presence of God is still on the mountain. I don't have to wonder. That's what it is. But you see, pressure begins to ensue because the enemy comes along and begins to say, what's happened to this Moses? You guys are stuck here in the wilderness with nobody around. No one's here to help you. No one's here to defend you. Moses, we don't know what happened to him. And you could be in trouble. Who's going to bring water from the rock? Who's going to help you with the Amalekites if they come by again? Because we just had a battle with them a little while ago. And he says, come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man. See, the God who brought us up out of the land of Egypt is, is Jehovah. But this is the man who brought us up out of the Egypt. We don't know what happened to him. I mean, he went somewhere. We don't know what happened. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which are in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made, everybody say made, made, made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, I thought the problem they had was, where is the man? What are they replacing? They're replacing the God. They didn't say, where is this God? They said, where is this man? But now they're replacing the God. This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, the molded calf is interesting. You wonder where they get that from. And it is true that there was a, a God of, uh, like this in Egypt. However, it was very different. The God that Egypt worshipped was not a calf. It was a bull. They did not worship a calf uh, god. They worshipped a bull god. And the, one that they, the bull that they worshipped was not gold. They did not worship a golden bull or a golden calf. They worshipped a live one. They worshipped a live bull. They had names. Did I leave them in your outline for you? Apis, 
And I'll spell this for you because I probably would do a terrible job pronouncing it. M-N-E-V-I-S. Apis M. Nevis. Now, Nevis was generally a black bull. And what they would do is they would find in the herd the blackest bull that they could find. And they would bring that, that bull in and they would worship it. But you know what happens with bulls? They eventually die. So when that bull would die, they had a burial ground for it. And, the, and in Egypt, they have many of these bulls that are buried. And they would go out and they would find another very black bull. No other spots. It has to be all the way. And if they could not find one, they would get a white one to make a contrast. And that would be the bull that they would worship until that bull died. And then they would go out in the herd and they would find the next replacement. And then they would bring that in. So whatever the lifespan of a bull is, I don't know what that is. You know, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever the lifespan of the bull is, that's how often you've got to replace this particular God. And they would put this God in their temple and they would watch its movements. And how it moved was actually an oracle from God to tell them about things that they were to do. Now, Apis was another bull god, but it was a bull. And it was a live bull. It was not a golden one. It was not carved. It was not fashioned. This is what they worshipped. Now, one thing we find in the Word of God is that it doesn't seem anyway that Israel is accused of worshipping Egyptian idols once they left Egypt. The reference we have for this is Joshua 24 and verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river, and in Egypt serve the Lord. So it says that they served them on the other side of the river over in Egypt. That's where they served them. Now, here it is saying put it away. Maybe they brought them back out. Um, maybe it's just saying don't bring these things up. Don't uh, put them away, whatever it might be. But they did still worshipped them when they were over in the land of Egypt. The children of Israel worshipped the Egyptian gods in the land of Egypt. At least some of them did. So when God came and he attacked the gods, he wasn't just doing it to show Egypt that he was God. He was showing the children of Israel, these gods are nothing. I am the true God. It was also a sign for Israel, not just for Egypt. Verse 5. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early and the next day, offered burnt offerings and offered peace offerings. So it's a feast to the Lord. We're going to make this. These gods are going to become Jehovah to us. It's a Jehovah replacement is what it is. See, we can control these gods. The other God, the other Jehovah, he kind of went and we didn't have anything to do with it. These ones we can carry with us. And wherever we want to go, we just pick them up and we go there. And these gods go with us. So they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now you can check out a lot of the modern translations and see some of the ways that they have translated this. This is not a good picture. This is not good playtime. They're not coming out there, you know, shooting some hoops, playing some soccer, running track. That's not the kind of playing that they're doing. Playing that they're doing is very immoral. Shouldn't be going on, but that's what they're doing. And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down 
on the 40th day. Go, get, how many days was he up there? 40, 40 days. 40, that's not saying that God intended him to be up there 40 days and 40 nights. He said he was, he was up there 40 days and 40 nights. So on the 40th day, what's God say? Go, get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. In other words, I had nothing to do with this. I am totally... <laughs> they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. Remember what they said? All the words of the Lord we will do. They said it twice. Last time they said, and obey. They have turned aside quickly. Now notice the difference. God calls the period of time in which Moses is up on the mountain quick, a short time. The children of Israel call it long, delayed. Two people, two groups of people, God up here, Israelites down here, looking at the same period of time. And what's one say? Man, that was quick. You turned out of the way quick. How long does it seem to God that Moses was on the mountain with him? Forty days and forty nights. Isn't that who said it was forty days and forty nights? God said it was forty days and forty nights. It's in the Word. Forty days and forty nights. Don't let people tell you, well, in God time, there is no God time. It's forty days and forty nights. What people don't understand about God time is God is in the past, the present, and the future at the same time. There is no time with God. He is just as much God of Abraham now as he is of us now. When Jesus said, he is is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. What's he saying? In God's eyes, in the way that God sees time and interacts with time, Abraham is still alive. Elisha is still alive. Joshua is still alive. Adam is still alive. Because he can touch the past, the present, and the future, which is why he can make such great prophecies. Because he's just sitting over here talking to you in the present, and also he's over there in the future, and he's just telling you this is what's happening. He's not controlling it. He's not forcing anything to happen. He's just in touch with the future and in touch with the now, also in touch with the past, all at the same time. That's our God. But he's up there in the mountain with Moses for 40 days and 40 nights, just like Moses was. And God called it quick. Children of Israel said, delayed. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Now, when God says that, I, I get a picture of the, the movies. You know the movies when the, the guy wants to pick a fight with somebody over there who's bigger than he is? And, you know, he tells his friend, you know, hold me back, hold me back. And once he starts holding them back, then he starts trying to get at them and trying to, you know, I'll tear you apart, I'll get you. <laughs> yeah. And God says, hold me back. Hold me back, because I'm going to tear them apart. Let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Don't ever think God doesn't have another way of doing things. God always has another way of doing things. If I fail them, if you fail them, 
That's all right. We'll go on to something. I'd rather do it for you. You're my first choice. Maybe even the second choice. Maybe even the third choice. Who knows? Maybe other people have let the, the call down and you picked it up. I'd rather be God's third, fourth, fifth, sixth choice and do it than his first choice and not. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord, his, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? <laughs> I didn't bring them. You did. With great power and with a mighty hand. I don't have the great power and the mighty hand. That was all you. All you. It was your mighty hand. It was your great power. I had nothing to do with it. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. So Moses acts as an intercessor here. I put this in your outline for you. Just because you pray for others does not mean you are an intercessor. Please understand that. Just because you pray for other people does not mean that you are an intercessor. Or even that you are doing any good. Just because you are praying for other people does not mean you are doing them any good. Just because you are praying for the people does not mean you are an intercessor. There's a whole lot of people who pray for other folks, pray for them unscripturally, pray for them for things they already have, pray for them for things against the will of God, pray for them because they, in such a way they don't know who God is. Moses, when he took up this intercession, knows who God is. And he says, God, I know your signature. Here's your signature. It was your power and your might that brought them out. That was you. And the Egyptians, they're going to speak ill of you. They're going to say that you couldn't do it. I know that's not the case. You know that's not the case. But that's what they're going to think. And you're not going to like that. Plus, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you made a promise to them to make a nation out of them. So he he knows God. And he brings up these things and says, don't do it. Don't do it. For these reasons. And God relented. Because he knew his God. He knew his character. He knew his will. He knew his word. And he reminded him of those things. And God relented. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain. And the two tablets of testimony were in his hand. And the tablets were written on both sides. On one side, two-sided printing. How many like two-sided printing? God invented it. Right there. On the one side and on the other, they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. Now, we're talking about patience. We're talking about enduring. Joshua is about halfway up the mountain, but apparently at the level where he is, he can hear the people. And he says, there's a sound of war because he is the leader of the people for war. He's the general. He goes out with them. Now, if you're the general and it's your responsibility to lead the people into war and from the war, and you hear a sound that in your mind says war, what is your calling? What is your inclination trying to get, get you to do? To feel pressure to move, to leave the situation where you are, to leave Moses and to go on down. But he was told to wait. So he waited. How much pressure he felt, I don't know. 
But he waited until Moses came down to him. And he said, there's a sound of war in the camp. And Moses says, it's not the sound of war. No, it's not the sound of war. Believe me, I wish it was the sound of war. But it's not. It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. So now he can see what God sees. And what did he do? He gets mad like God was mad. It's a good thing he didn't see this before, huh? He may have said, you know what? <laughs> Go ahead, God. I'm not going to stand in your way. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to power. He scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Now, we've made this point to you before. I'll just remind you again on this. Remember who he left in charge? Aaron and her. That is the last reference we ever have for her. We never hear of her mentioned in the Bible again. It would seem he died. That in this rebellion that the children of Israel threatened their two leaders, Aaron and Hur, that if they did not make this, there was going to be uh, some consequences. And the first one who was killed was Hur. And when Aaron saw that, he relented and went ahead and made this thing. But we never see her again. It's an assumption, but I think it's a pretty safe assumption that Hur dies in this uprising to make this idol. Where do we leave off at? Verse 21. And Moses said to Aaron, not Aaron and her, to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? And Moses, they were going to kill me. You would have been better off letting them kill you. So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people. They are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him? And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it in the fire, and voila! This calf just came out. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among the enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. So Aaron fears for his life. He has Aaron and her. They fear for their life. Her dies, probably. Aaron feels the pressure and makes the golden calves because they're afraid of the people. And then Moses comes down. How many people is Moses? One. He's got Joshua with him. One person. How many people are the children of Israel? Two to four million. How does one man come down into this congregation and get them to do something they don't want to do? We're not told all those details. But here's this, here's this part. Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. Who is on the Lord's side? So after all this has been done, Moses comes down. The people realize we said Moses was dead, but we were wrong. Here he comes. He's mad. He just made us drink our God. And he says, who is on the Lord's side? That's real important to remember who is on the Lord's side. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. 
So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Now, I don't know exactly how big the tribe of Levi is, but if you have two to four million people, two to four million people, let's just put a number, a nice round number on it. Let's say that there's 2.4 million people. There's 12 tribes of Israel. How many would that make per tribe, just on average? I know some tribes are bigger, Judah is bigger, other ones are smaller, but Levi somewhere in the middle of there is being averaged in size. So if we have have that, that would be somewhere around 200,000 people. 200,000 people. Now, uh, half of them are going to be men, half of them are going to be women. So that's 100,000. Not all of them are going to be of sword-bearing age. So let's take out of that 100,000, let's just say 30,000. One-third are sword-bearing age. I think that's a fairly decent number. 30,000 people with swords killed how many? 3,000. How does 30,000 people who are commissioned to go out and to kill the brothers and sisters, how many do you think they would have killed? Why is it only 3,000 died? It's real simple. What, what did Moses ask for? Who is on the Lord's side? So when all this rebellion is going on, we are led to, the, to believe that this tribe was not involved with it. They were not having a part of this. And when Moses came down and said, we're, we're, not, a, we're not a part of this, or if they were a part of it, they withdrew from it. And he said, we realized uh, that was stupid, and we're over here on this side now. So he says, you guys, put a sword on and go out there and kill. Who's, who are they supposed to kill? Just kill people? Whose side are you on? We're on the Lord's side. Who would you go out and kill? The ones that are not on the Lord's side. So they went from entrance to entrance. And they, they found those because they were a part of this rebellion. They knew who the instigators were. They knew who the people were who killed her, if her actually does die. They knew the people who made the threats. They knew the people that got this whole thing started. And they went around entrance to entrance. I know what you did. And they killed them. You weren't involved. I know what you did. And they killed them. And they found 3,000 people because they were here in this group. 3,000 people that they knew were involved in this rebellion. And they killed them. But it's why only 3,000 died. Because they're not looking for how many children of Israel they can kill. They're looking for who is on the Lord's side. We fight for the Lord's side, not our own side, the Lord's side. So they go out and they do these things. Verse uh, 28 we left off at. And Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day for every man has opposed his son and his his brother. Now there it's just said a blessing. Later on we're going to find out that on the tribe of Levi was going to be the, the priesthood. But understand this. This is not how God intended it. God did not intend the priest to be one tribe. Look at, look at this verse. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6. And you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests. What did they become? A tribe of priests. But the original intent for God was to have a kingdom of priests. That became the tribe of Levi. The rest of them were, were blocked from that. Verse 30, Exodus 32. 
Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, uh, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. It'd be one thing if Moses is saying, if you're not going to forgive them, then kill me too. He doesn't say that. He says, blot me out of the book. Would you do that for this people? More than likely, they just killed a very close person to you in her. Threatened Aaron and just changed the course of purpose that God had for the nation. Would you put your life on the line like that? I will give up my place in heaven if you won't forgive them. That's, that's what he does. So here's a question we put on here for you. How long can you wait? How long can you wait? How long can you wait for something, whatever it might be? What's your limit? For the children of Israel, the 40 days and 40 nights seem like a long time. For God and Moses, it was short. I put this in your outline for you. Waiting in faith, just like enduring under pressure in faith, will produce patience. We're not waiting without faith. We are waiting with faith. I stand believing. I don't let go of my believing. I stand here and I believe. But I can wait. How long can you wait for? If you're in the presence of God, how long can you wait for? If God has come down on this place and He is uh, moving and you're in the presence of God, how long can you wait for? Before you start becoming distracted and before you start going off into other areas. How long? I put this in your outline. I didn't refer you to it though, but doing nothing is not always bad. Nor is doing something always good. Just because you're doing something doesn't mean it's good. Doesn't mean you should. Just because you're doing nothing doesn't mean it is bad. If you're waiting on the instructions from God, sit around there and do nothing. God feeling any urgency? Now, I think I missed this one for you, but it seems that people have an easier time giving to what is wrong than they do what is right. How hard was it for them to pluck off their earrings and their gold and give it for the making of this golden calf? Wasn't hard for them at all, was it? They plucked those things off right away. And I made this note in your outline. I wanted to make sure you saw this. Carnal Christians are glad doing the things they want to do but become bored waiting in God's presence. Carnal Christians are glad doing the things they want to do, but become bored waiting in God's presence. You want to know if you're a carnal Christian or not? How long can you wait in the presence of God and do nothing? How long did Moses do it when he was up there on the mountain? Six days. As far as we know, there's not a word of complaint out of Moses. Think of it this way. You show up at your relative's house for Christmas Day. And they wait six days until they do anything. Is that going to sit funny with you? Why did you want me here now? Why is Moses on the mountain? Because God said, come up. Right? Didn't he say, come up? He said, come up. Come up here. And so he came up. And what happened? Seven days later, he talked to him. 
But we don't hear any complaint out of Moses. We've got to get ourselves out of the carnal Christian area and into the spiritual Christian area. We've got to get ourselves out of just, I'll be excited as long as I'm doing what I want. And they may be spiritual things. They may be godly things. They may be good things that you're doing. It makes no difference. If you're doing what you want and then you're happy, that's a carnal Christian. You do what God wants, whether you're happy about it or not. Whether you get all that enjoyment out of it or not, it makes no difference. Carnal Christians are glad doing the things they want to do, but become bored waiting in God's presence. We've got to learn how not to be bored in the presence of God. How far would you get in your dating relationship if you called up your date on the phone and after five minutes said, well, this is kind of boring. I'm going to go. That probably wouldn't go over so well, would it? No, it wouldn't, wouldn't do uh, all that well at all. Get to that place where you can sit in the presence of God. You expected to come out to the presence of God and God to speak to you and six days later, nothing happened. But apparently Moses was okay. He didn't have any problem. Are we okay in the presence of God? Would you all stand up with me? The presence of God isn't just going to move here in this place. It's going to move in your own life. There can be times that the presence of God comes down upon you and you can sit and wait and listen to the presence of God. What is your endurance like? Do you feel pressure to get out and do something? Do you feel pressure to move? Do you feel pressure to do something? Don't feel pressure. Sit there in the presence of God. Allow God to do things with you. You rest in that presence of God and you go out. And God can help what you're doing out there go a whole lot better and a whole lot smoother. Listen to Him. We've got to get ourselves out of the carnal Christian area and get ourselves into the spiritual area to where we are willing to sit and to wait even if we aren't doing anything at all. This morning is our communion Sunday. And our ushers are bringing around the elements. This is our time to check ourselves out, to search ourselves. We want to search ourselves out with the relationships with other people, but also search yourself out with the relationship with God. Think about God, all the things that He's doing for you. Think about yourself in the presence of God. Have you become bored in the presence of God? Well, you need to go into the presence of God deeper. You need to stay in there. It's a good place to be. Don't get tired of it. Don't get bored of it. Don't be a carnal Christian. Don't be looking at one situation and say, why is it taking so long? When God, on the other hand, is saying, look how quickly they moved out of faith. Look how quickly they moved out. Is what's going on in your life is it taking a long time? I don't, I'm talking about healing. Well, I'm waiting a long time for this healing. That's where a lot of people like to go. We're not talking about that. How long do people in the New Testament have to wait for healing with Jesus? That's not what we're talking about. You look in the Bible, you look for the things that people had to wait for. Those are the things you're, you're looking at. God, what is your purpose for my life? God, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Am I doing the right thing? And we're waiting. And we're waiting. And sometimes we can say, God, I've waited a long time. I've waited a long time for you to to move and to do something. You haven't done it. 
It's only going to start doing something. And we start finding some gold, start fashioning out some calves, don't be doing it. Don't be doing it. Don't rush God. Don't feel that things are taking too long. Don't entertain that thought. Again, the children of Israel are down on the mountain. Moses is up on top. Presence of God all over that mountain. And they decide on their own to think, why is it taking so long? Once they entertain that thought, then, well, what has become of Moses? And then before you know it, they're replacing their God. In the eyes of Moses, in the eyes of God, they replaced their God. Not Moses. It starts in one spot. Why is it taking so long? Think of it from God's point of view. Why have you turned so quickly? We celebrate communion together today. Let's think about what God did for us. Some 4,000 years after Adam fell and God prophesied that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. Some 4,000 years later, Jesus is born. And then, according to Paul, according to Jesus, the words we have is, Behold, I am coming quickly. How long ago was that? 2,000 years ago. Quickly to God can be different from us. If you want to share God's view on how long it's taking, get God's heart. Don't get a heart of flesh. Get a new heart. Get His heart. Because when you have God's heart, you can be like Joshua and wait halfway up the mountain even though you think something is wrong down below. As we eat together, let's remember the work of Jesus on the cross. That before the supper, he broke the bread and gave it to the disciples and he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That work that he did on the cross had the effect for all the people that were before it and all the people that are after it to heal their body and to set them free from the curse of the law. Let's eat together. At the end of supper, he took the cup. This represents the blood of the new covenant, he said. His blood washed away sin, then covered up. Let's remember that the blood of Jesus has washed us clean. We are sin free. We wear his righteousness. Let's drink together. I want to cover your bulletin. You'll see this scripture. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. If the thought comes in, why is it taking so long? Make sure you get rid of that thought. And meditate on the thought this way. Behold, I am coming quickly. It is not up to you to bring about those plans. It's about you to follow and to be obedient. As long as it takes for that to be developed, stay on the side of being obedient. Stay on the side of listening. Before we go here today, I see one praise report. Is there, um, are there any others?
You can get them to our ushers, and they'll bring them by here for you. Phyllis and Bruce, our son was given the choice, and he chose not to attend a New Year's party that was bound for trouble and ungodliness. <laughs> they are hearing the Spirit of God. <laughs> oh, that's good. It is nice to see when, when people listen, heed the voice of God, and avoid the places where we, we shouldn't be. We don't need to be. Glory to God. This, um, this Wednesday, we're back in here for the Wednesday night service. We're going to be picking up on a couple more verses and looking at our relationships that we are to have and how we can bring godly principles into them. Uh, that's Wednesday. Next Sunday, we have the end times class that will begin after church again at 1 o'clock. We're going to be looking at the second half of Jesus' teaching, answering the questions the disciples asked. So we're going to pick that up there uh, next Sunday at 1 o'clock. The uh, financial class will pick up on the Sunday after that, and we're just going to alternate them until the financial class is done. They'll be done before the end times class is. But uh, we'll, we'll have this one here, and then after that we go on into some of, of Paul's teaching. So anything else that I did not? All right. You have something to, more to bring? Okay. There was a, uh, there's a book I was listening to, and I'm looking forward to getting more into this. And it took uh, unsaved people and put them into five categories. The first uh, category, the, the hardest category, categorize them as ag- uh, uh, against hearing the gospel and actually active against those who are Christians. The second one, they're not active against those that are Christians, but very much against hearing the gospel. And it went on down the middle one and those that are, are really just, just waiting. When I got all done this, 80% of the unchurched people, this is, a, this is a poll they did it for a number of years, and they actually just didn't just poll people, they actually sat down and talked to unsaved church people, uh, un- unchurched people. And they found out that 80% of the people who do not go to church are open to hearing about God. 80% of the people who do not go to church are open to hearing about God. Now, if that surprises you, this one will really surprise you. Four out of every ten people who do not, who do not currently go to church, four out of every ten people are only waiting for an invitation. This is a lot of people in a lot of states that were talked to, they were interviewed. Not just, here's a bunch of questions, answer them. Someone sat down and actually talked to the people. Four out of every ten people who don't go to church are just waiting for someone to invite them. How many of you believe God can lead you to one of those four people out of ten people? Understand the unchurch are out there. They want an invitation. In fact, a lot of these folks are actually looking forward to talking about God. One of the stats they put out there is that people that are not churched get very uncomfortable talking about God. And people that are churched get very uncomfortable talking about God. But what was really interesting was that the people who are not churched hope that they both get over it. They hope that they can keep talking about God and get over being uncomfortable. There are people in this country that are a whole lot more receptive to the things of God than we're led to believe 
and maybe even that we think. But if four out of ten people are merely waiting on an invitation to come to church, ask God to lead you to some of those four people this week and every week. God, lead me. Now, they may not be people that you know, but they may be people that are in the coffee shop. Maybe people that are waiting in line. There's all kinds of things. Let me give you this one more thing with this. Most people that are unchurched do not like it when people show up at their homes to talk about God. The majority of people who are unchurched want to talk about God, but not when you come to their home. But they sure wish that when you're out there talking, having conversation, that you would bring them up. Don't feel like you've got to go knock on doors. But if you come into a crowded restaurant for something quick to eat and someone is sitting by themselves, maybe you could, do you mind if I sit here? Maybe when you're waiting in line, quick conversation about the things of God. Just let God bring you on. Don't, don't force it. Don't have to force it. But God can give you the words to say. I heard that stat. I wanted to make sure I was able to, to share this with you. Four out of ten people the only reason they are not going to church is because no one invited them. We're praying for you to find people to invite the church. Not only does it bring more people into church, into the kingdom of God, how many of you would feel so much better if this year you led a certain number of people into a relationship with God? Father, as we go out this week, thank you for the help that you give us. The four out of ten people are waiting for an invitation to come to church. We are looking for those four out of ten people. And it's not that we're going to write off the six out of ten, but we're going to work on those four out of ten. Lead us to them. Help us to overcome our fear, our uneasiness. Bring us into conversations. Give us the words to speak. And when we invite them, we offer to pick them up, take them out to eat afterwards, whatever it is necessary to build a relationship, to build a fellowship there. But Father, these are lost lambs. These are lost ones that the all heaven rejoices when one comes back, when one comes into the fold. We want to have a part of that. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. New Year's Day, whatever it is that you have going on, enjoy yourselves. Thanks for making us a part of your morning, and we will see some of you here on Wednesday.